Hi, welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Today's episode is all about the ARCO Project, a long-distance teaching partnership and collaboration between the Royal Conservatoire Birmingham in the UK and the Morris Isaacson Centre for Music in Soweto, South Africa. I'm joined by the founder of the project, Louise Lansdowne, a violist and head of strings at RBC, as well as Njabulo Ngomalo. Njabulo is a 21-year-old double bassist who grew up participating in the ARCO project, currently studying at Stellenbosch University. We spoke about how the project came about, the importance and challenges of the scheme, and Njabulo shares his first-hand experiences of taking lessons and how that has shaped his musical life thus far. Here are Louise and Njabulo. Louise and Njabulo, welcome to the Strad Podcast. It's really special to have you both here. I've got Louise speaking to me from Birmingham and um, Jabs is speaking to me from South Africa. So we're here today to talk about the ARCO project, which features in the Strad February issue. And Louise has written the feature on that for us. Louise, could you tell me a little bit more about the project? So we know that it's a long distance learning partnership. Tell me a little bit about the conception of this project. How did it come about? Well, I was in the shower and I had, (laughs) (laughs) it was a particularly grey and grim day in Birmingham, which it often is. And I'd been thinking for really many years about a way to try and connect all the wonderful benefits and inspirations that we have at the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire with uh, young people in particular in South Africa. And also find a way actually so that slightly selfishly that I could be a bit more connected with South Africa after having left so long but that wasn't my main motive. So you could go home once in a while. (laughs) Well I'm just basically be feel like I could be useful I I felt like I'd become a bit disconnected from from home and I felt really that I have still many friends left in South Africa believe it or not I really wanted to to find some way to do something to be part of South African music So actually, that was the motivation. And I was just really, really lucky that I'd been to visit the Morris Isaacson Center um, for Music in Soweto back in 2013, which is a few years before I was in the shower that morning and conjured up the ARCO project. (laughs) Actually, I I went to visit the center with Abel Silachwe. He was the first person who I went with and a really wonderful uh, cellist, another cellist, um, who is now, um, he's studying in Germany. So actually, they took me there for the first time. Jabula, I can't remember. Did I meet you that day in 2013? Yes. yes yeah, you see, my memory's yeah. really bad, clearly. Um, the first time I met Louise, it was the time when she gave the masterclass in the, um, in yeah. the hall. So that's when I met Louise, yeah. Wow. And how old were you then? <laughs> 13. <laughs> I was 13 years old. All right. <laughs> Wow, so we go we go way back here. Yeah. And then so Louise, how how did it sort of come about? You know, you, you had your ultimate shower thought. <laughs> and then how how did the plan come into action? I, I met with Chris and a man called Robert Brooks, who was involved at the Morris Isaacson Center at the time. I met with him in Johannesburg and made the suggestion for my idea. They loved it. And a couple of months later I went back to South Africa again and started to put in place uh, some kind of formal structure of how it might actually work. The really wonderful thing about the Music Centre in Soweto is that there are fantastic teachers who are 
already there. There are really wonderfully trained, gifted teachers who are already at the center, who can see students face to face, who are an amazing support and a mine of great information. So it didn't feel like it would have been, it was going to only be online, but that we could somehow be a support mechanism that our students in Birmingham would be able to learn the art of teaching. I mean, as hard as it is online, there's still just so much that can be learned from it. That just seemed like Chris Bishop, who is the director of music at the uh, Morris Isaacson Center for Music, is just so organized, so focused, so supportive. Felt like there was an infrastructure within which to start a project like this. And I mean, we had literally no idea what it would be. It just that my idea was that to see what we could do and definitely weekly lessons and do chamber music, different activities, inspiring activities. We had no idea that we'd all be going backwards and forwards to South Africa so much every spare second that I possibly could. I'd just like jump on a plane and go to Soweto. This would have been sort of before the pandemic, right? When you could still sort of travel back and forth quite freely. Yeah. So I guess in a way you're sort of doing the online teaching before, you know, would you say that you were sort of prepared for online teaching when the pandemic did come along and the rest of the world was sort of flailing, coming to grips with Zoom and Skype? <laughs> in a way, did it feel sort of natural when you when you had to continue? Yeah, it didn't feel very different at all because we were just doing that anyway. I suppose what was really hard for Jabulo and, and other people in South Africa was that actually when the music center wasn't able to open because of the pandemic, because South Africa had particularly strict lockdowns, really, really tough restrictions. Actually, at that time, it was very, very hard to keep in touch with the ARCO students in the same way as we might have done if they could come into the center. A, because South Africa suffers from huge power outages, and B, because data is um, like reprehensibly expensive. And, and actually for some people just unaffordable. So not able to be able to be in touch with all of our kids and for them to attend lessons as we hoped they could have. To be really honest, parts of the pandemic have been an upward struggle. And it's been a real relief that when the center was able to open, that at least the contact could be resumed with Wi-Fi, <laughs> you know, even if it is a yeah. bit unreliable. And, you know, just data is just so, so expensive in South Africa. When the pandemic was too strong, especially here in South Africa, yes, I could sometimes afford to buy data to get into lessons because, like, I really needed some lessons. Like, I've got some auditions to do. I've got some exams coming up. So, like, I had to do something to make sure that I get data, even though it is very expensive. But I would have to talk to my sister. It was also hard for her to get her own personal data to do some work and stuff. So she would do something maybe once or twice in a month because I couldn't afford to attend lessons every week like I do when I come here at the center. But yeah, it was a huge pain on the back, especially for us here in, in South Africa that we should stand up and try to do something. Like when the center started opening up, we didn't come here at the center as we normally come to do it, the ensembles and stuff. So that's when I got a huge help in the way that I finally got to have a chance to chat with my teacher and have a chat with Louise, Uncle Tony and everyone to plan ahead on if like this kind of situations happen, what must I do or what we should do in, in future. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it did for, for a lot of people, and but especially this really does highlight it, you know, this, mm. this necessity that the pandemic just furthered a lot of isolation, yeah. uh, really, and just that necessity to keep everyone connected and really highlight the importance of, of the in-person um, interaction. Because I know you guys do a lot of um, ensembles, mm. you do lots of coachings together. And Louise, is it correct that lots of the students from Birmingham actually fly, well, used to fly to South Africa to give yeah. in-person lessons as well? There were a couple of UK summer periods when we had like 15 of our students at one one go flying over and yeah. then the next summer something similar and that, that that became actually quite 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 tricky and we then just sent much smaller focus groups in the interim and so fewer people at a time but a more kind of focused it was easier to mentor people as well if there were not so many it was such fun though oh my goodness those first trips with loads and loads of people it was just music we took over the whole of the Morris Isaacson Center but also the school next door we were just in all of the classrooms making a complete racket for days and days on end and it was really a, a massive celebration and so much fun and I know that our RBC students absolutely adored meeting their you know their students that they'd obviously got to know online but it just makes so much more sense when you see the place where somebody's from, when you meet them and you understand a bit about them, you can talk to them, you can laugh, you can find out about them much, much, much better. When I was still a violinist, I used to be taught by Alistair Rutherford. I was telling one of my cousins here, she used to play violin here. I'm like, I didn't eat today. I'm so excited. Alistair's coming to show to tomorrow. Here at the center, everyone was like, so excited. We, like, we literally came in the morning, so early in the morning to make sure that when the ACOP teachers arrive, we are all here to scream, to be happy to give hugs and stuff. It is so nice so, yeah. Yeah, for the ACOP teachers to come here to South Africa. But unfortunately, the pandemic has broke like everything, broke the chain. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. It must be so heartwarming to also get that welcome as well. Jabulu, can you tell me a little bit about your experiences of, of the ARCO project? Because as you mentioned, you met Louise way back in, in 2013. Yeah. And you also mentioned, and I think you say in the issue that you started on violin before picking up the double bass. Tell me, how did you get involved? How did you hear about the project? And what sort of spurred you on to continue your further study? So I started playing the violin. I was 12 years old when I started playing the violin. And the year after, in 2013 also, one of the guards here, he was like, don't you want to go to the hall? There's a masterclass going on there. I was like, masterclass? What is the masterclass? Because I didn't have any idea. What is a masterclass? And he was like, just go to the hall and you'll see. And then I saw Louis giving a masterclass. I was like, hmm, okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's really great. I think... <laughs> I just go with, with everything. And then in 2014, our teachers and so it was started telling us more about the ACO project that um, we'll be getting some lessons online in the media room, this room where I'm in right now, they started showing us, this is where you'll be going. You'll be having your lessons with your teachers. And then they started allocating us with our teachers from the UK. That's when I also met Alistair Rutherford and then I started learning violin with Alistair from 2015 
until 2018 when I decided to to pick up the double bass and <laughs> <laughs> wow that's quite a transition and, and and Louise didn't try and convince you to pick up viola at all uh, I had no. no chance I had no chance <laughs> I was very very lucky enough to win the prize in 2017 Louise if I remember to go and visit um, RPC I was excited and nervous because that time I, um, I didn't know that the airplane was this big, first of all. Second of all, I didn't know that the um, Birmingham is so far away from Johannesburg. So I was so excited. But when my sister and I sat down at home and started Googling, I don't know if you ever come across this feeling whereby when you're excited, you start Googling about the place. Oh, okay, let me see Birmingham. Oh, it is so nice. I was like, okay, I, I, I'm so ready to go there. And then when I went there, my first lesson, I think it was the opposite room from the double page room at RPC. So there was a double page line in the corner there. So I was like, to Alistair, um, what's that? Uh, Alistair was like, that's the double page. I was like, can I take the picture with it? Alistair was like, okay, let's go. And then I took the picture. I was like, I'm definitely posting this on every social media page that I have. And then after that, I think two days after my lessons with Alistair, I was in Louise's classroom where I was practicing. So Louise was busy with her stuff. And then Tom Martin came into the room. I was like, Ooh, okay. Just standing there. Louise said to me in jobs, practice. I was like, okay. I was practicing, I was practicing. And then Tom Martin came in. And then I started stop practicing. And Tom was like, do you want the fifth double phase lesson? And I was like, Louise, can I go? Louise was like, jobs, practice. Can I please go? No jobs, you have to practice. And then I was practicing the violin. So when I was sitting outside having my lunch, I had someone playing the double bit in the double piece room. I was like, I have to go and see this instrument, this big instrument. I saw this guy holding this big instrument, even with the wheel pushing. And then I went in, I was like this in the class when this guy was practicing. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, I think I love the double piece. But I didn't tell Louise. I was like, I kept it inside with me, like, okay, I think I love the double piece. So I was also lucky enough that I went to, to visit CBSO, the City of Finland Symphony Orchestra, and I was mm-hmm. sitting right next to the double bases. So like this, is, this was the audience seat, and the double bass section was right next to me. I was like, oh, that, that's, the, that's the best time. That is the very best time. I'm going for the double bass. And then I don't remember when Louise came to, um, to, to South Africa for the ACO project. I was like, um, Louise, can I play the double bass? It was like, ah, oh, you are lucky enough because there is a double base that is going to arrive. Okay, can, can I move to the double base? He was like, are you sure? I was like, I'm 100% sure. Jobs, I was like, I'm, 100, I'm, I'm definitely going to the base. And then I started learning the double base. And then three months from the time when I started playing the base, I started pushing hard because I'm one person whereby I don't like to stay in one position if like i'm beginning the instrument in five months time i want to be playing this certain grade or this this certain piece because even the first time when i started playing the double bass i started listening to double bass music i started learning about protesting when i asked my teacher Ashton Wright, i was like have you ever heard of protesting i think i was like jobs. i was like i'm asking she was like yes i know protesting so i started listening to different repertoires and that's how I started learning, and most of the pieces I, I learned them by going to YouTube, 
um, checking out the pieces mm. and then I go to my teacher and be like, can I please play that piece? Can I play this? Can I play this? Yeah. Actually, I'm like, mm, okay, we will see. Uh, no, sometimes yeah. you say, no, in jobs, you have to finish these games or exercises or the pieces that you're playing. And then if I see you got, that you playing them the way I want you to play, and then I will be able to give you more pieces. I can't just give you many pieces all at once because you will get confused and stuff. That's a great approach to have because I've done a lot of string teaching myself and I would rather have a student come up to me being like, can I learn this? Or I found this on YouTube. I'm really excited about this piece than someone who who doesn't take an interest at all. So it's it's just very inspiring to hear that, you know, you're going on YouTube and finding your Bottasini uh, (laughs) pieces. (laughs) I don't know. What else do double basses listen to? Kapuzzi? Yeah, Kusevitsky? Yeah, I also, yeah. <laughs> I also bought the prize to go and perform the Kapuzzi Concerto. With, uh, there was a youth, um, youth um, concerto festival happening in Johannesburg. I didn't get a chance to perform because the, the week that I was supposed to perform, that's when the lockdown came. I was so angry because like, I practiced hours <laughs> and hours and hours on that piece to make sure that I played it perfectly for the audition. And also perfectly for the concert. And then the, the pandemic just came in and like, no problem, no performing, stay home. <laughs> <laughs> but your time will come. I'm sure I'm confident that your time yeah. will come. And when it does come, you'll be prepared. Yes. Louise, you know, just to maybe wrap things up a little bit, tell me, you know, what does the future hold for the ARCO project? We've got these wonderful students like Njibulo, you know, coming up through the ranks with their concerto performances of Capuzzi. And, you know, hopefully as the world starts to open up again, there might be this exchange of travel and ideas once more. What do you hope for the future of the project? Well, at the moment, uh, I think I'm just hoping that we can get to South Africa soon, get back to teaching everybody face-to-face, developing relationships. We've got so many new students, actually, who I've not met yet. I think also people like Njabulo, Saviso, Kamachelo, various other students of ours who are all now in higher education, and there'll be more people who you know, are going to come through, are going to be the next leaders in South Africa who will be the next players, teachers. There's a real kind of long route here. You know, I'm absolutely certain that whatever path Njibulo follows and his colleagues too, who are all really so immensely in love with music and South Africa needs them really badly. (laughs) Music really needs them. It's important that they're also able to perpetuate and continue that ARCO is not just something you just necessarily do at school. And it's actually just as important that those students who now are at university doing economics and we still keep in touch with all of our old students who are doing other degrees and they are going to contribute to the economy and culture of South Africa and perhaps other parts of the world too. I think it's really important that those skills that they learned through ARCO and maybe the connections that they've made, you know, they're quite long friendships, maybe lifelong friendships, I'd, I'd say. And certainly I hope that for our RBC students who are learning about teaching, learning about other people, that there's a long path there too, and that different career trajectories are already happening for many students. And I suppose their involvement with ARCO, it's something that gives them really quite different skills that might stand apart from more usual teaching experience. And and now we, we run 
a really similar project in Chennai in India as well. There's a, another sort of cultural thread to our involvement and, and how we're working with people. I, I don't know what ARCO will become. I know it's definitely not stopping, that's for sure. I think it will evolve along with the people who are part of it. And, you know, hopefully Jabulo is going to be one of our most prized teachers and players <laughs> before too long. As he heads back to Selenbosch University tomorrow, he's got a really exciting year ahead of him. You'll be the one passing on the enthusiasm onto the next generation of music club because it's not necessarily just about creating new musicians for the next generation right it's it's about creating music lovers and appreciators and and people who really treasure those skills that they can put forth to whatever other discipline they choose to pursue totally thank you both so much for joining me today and telling me about the arco project it's really wonderful to hear about its origins its future and then also jabulo your first-hand experience of i guess growing up with the project so thank you once again Thanks a million, Davina. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Louise and Njibulo. If you want to read more about the ARCO project, you'll find the feature written by Louise herself in the February 2022 issue of The Strad, plus a little bit more on Njibulo's story as well as other students. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news and articles on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onwards. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, Subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days. Start reading right away with no strings attached. Also, if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.